0: In a world where God is dying, four heathens
1: come to deliver the final nails in the coffin. From the depths of hell, Satan sends four puppets of the imperialist West and the Zionist Jews against God, Islam, and tiny kittens to bring you their propaganda and conspire for a new world order. This is Secular Jihadists from the Middle East.
0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to Secular Jihadists from the Middle East. Uh, my name is Ali Rizvi, and with me, we have uh, Armin Navabi, the founder of Atheist Republic. Uh, we have Yaz, uh, Yasmin. I, I, I what, conf- She's the author of Confessions of an Ex-Muslim, but I don't know which last name I'm supposed to use. Muhammad. Oh, okay. There you go. Oh, how did I forget? Muhammad. <laughs> the
1: unique
0: name unique name unique name yeah and then uh we have um i guess he's spiritually present right now is Faisal Said Al-Muttar he's um i think he's having a shawarma at this point he had eaten so he will show up very shortly um uh, in inshallah or we say insha darwin that's what we do darwin willing that's that's how that's how we roll here um uh, and uh, today we actually have a, a very special guest so uh, the the background of this is that um in the Maldives recently um a secular activist and blogger um named Yamin Rashid um, was brutally murdered he was hacked to death in his own home um and this uh, story made headlines and this is obviously very close to all of us because he was basically murdered killed for doing what all of us do here freely every day so this is whenever something like this happens as has happened um with Bangladeshi bloggers um as has happened even with the jailing of people like rife by the way uh, in saudi arabia this is something that really um, hits very close to us it's a very personal thing um for uh, Atheist from Muslim background. Ali, I
1: think I'm going to have to take over the introductions because your oh. voice keeps on cutting.
0: Okay, I'm please. Sorry, go
1: ahead. I'm going to I'm going to take the baton from you.
0: I've been hijacked. Um,
1: so, if, just to, to recap, in case you missed anything that that Ali was saying um, today, our guest is Muju Naim, who is a blogger from the Maldives, um, and we've invited him to speak with us today because. The Maldives is going through the same kind of conservative upsurge as the rest of the world and um, just like Ali was saying, in Saudi Arabia and in Bangladesh and in Pakistan, and in the Maldives as well, activists are being killed or disappearing for just speaking up for liberal secular values. So, Muju, I'm going to pass it on to you and you can give us a little bit of background about the Maldives and uh, where you fit into this whole mess that's happening right now.
2: Uh, Hi, guys. Uh, Good to be here on The Secular Jihadist. Uh, Just to start with a little background on the Maldives, uh, the political environment. The Maldives has been uh, up until 2000 a run by a 30-year-old dictatorship, which was pretty much in the form of sort of uh, Egyptian style or, or some of the other, uh, you know, Middle Eastern style uh, dictatorships. And it was mostly inspired by the Mubarak regime. Uh, and, and that was run by Gayoum. Uh, which was later, and then the democracy movement started around 2003 when a, 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 a convict was murdered in the prison and, and which sort of set the catalyst for a series of events that would lead to the establishment of the Maldivian Democratic Party and, 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 and the constitutional reform that would follow, uh, which would go on to be have the first democratically elected president in 2008, Mr. Nasheed. Uh, three years into his presidency, there was a coup where the, the, the democratic government was toppled by the same forces that was holding on during the, the dictatorship. And, and the toppling of that government happened under the pretext of protecting Islam and once the democratic government was toppled the initial democratic reforms that was achieved was sort of slowly repealed and this was being done constitutionally so it was a now it was coming different in, than the previous one the previous one was a blatant dictatorship but then later on now it's a constitutionally mandated legally legitimate dictatorship that was being formed. So whatever that's happening in the country is actually legal as far as the law is concerned in some of the most of the things. And they were just simply manipulating the constitution to do whatever they want. And this is the brother of the previous dictator who was doing it. Now, I don't think this guy is actually an Islamist per se, because his past history and and his behavior and everything around him doesn't fit the bill. But he is happy to use the Islamist narrative just the same. But in that process, what's happened is legitimate, really threatening Islamists have climbed through the ladder into the government and, and in different aspects of the the framework of government, you know. And, and these guys are serious threats to freedoms and democracy. Yeah, and, 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 and the same has been happening in, in the Maldives National Defense Force, and the same has been happening in the Maldives Police Force as well. So, This is going to a place where it's going to be really hard to reverse. But at the same time, the rhetoric of development, you know, aspirations, the the government aspires us to be a mini Singapore, as they like to keep repeating over and over again. So those things, those aspirations are in conflict with what's actually happening on the ground in terms of the the hardline religious narratives that that's been enforced. So in, in that environment, uh, initially I was involved with in mainstream politics uh, up until 2010 from uh, 2004 onwards, but then I shifted my attention and focus into, you know, minority rights and, and, and and secular values and 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 other related areas, and then I moved out of mainstream politics to focus on on the activism for secularism because I, the the word secular itself was is considered taboo in in our country, and and, and this isn't I I don't believe this is just in our country, but it, it's the whole the Islamic spinning of the word that, that it's it somehow atheistic in itself secularism as well
1: so in in the maldives is almost a hundred percent sunni muslim is that correct
2: yeah so the the constitution says you cannot be a maldivian unless you are sunni muslim at the moment so okay, so
0: do you have any minority demographics or can you guys hear me okay now or? yeah yeah i yes. can Okay, I switched my connection from five G to regular, so hopefully this works out. Uh, but yeah, do do you have what are the what what are the sort of minority demographics there, if any? Well, I, I've person like there, there's no recognized minority demographic
2: per se that that's on any indicator or any any you know documented level. But uh, the people that I hang out with, the circles that I move about with, you know, they aren't. Necessarily, you know, Muslims—they don't identify themselves as Muslims. I've met, you know, Christians. I've actually met Buddhists in the Maldives, and I've—I've I've met, you know, second-generation atheists, you know, even third-generation atheists. And, and the LGBT community is is is, is quite small, but it, it's there, and and they are forced into silence and into hiding as well. And there's a lot of hypocrisy around everything in terms of, you know, how uh, the LGBT community is even viewed. For example, you know, during Ramadan or, or, or you know, not not Ramadan, during the, the circumcision season is actually what it is, is during the holidays. The, sorry, school the holidays circumcision when, when, season? When, yes, it's,
0: there is a season for it.
1: This is new to me. I have not heard of this.
0: So, yeah, okay, okay, Go ahead. Can you explain that? Uh, yeah. So
2: during the school holidays, when, you know, it, it falls into December, January, and, and kids around, you know, seven, eight year olds.
1: Are you talking about boys or girls or both? But, or?
2: Yeah, we, we're talking about boys here. Okay. So during the circumcision season, as we call it, you know, that'd there, be like hallways and, and, you know, Communal circumcision events where you know.
1: So these aren't babies, and these aren't newborns.
2: No, no, these are not newborns. uh In the Maldives, they don't do newborn circumcisions.
1: Oh they, they, gosh.
2: Yeah, they do around uh seven, eight, uh, and and ten year olds up there. So it, it's
0: oh, my God. yeah, around there. Yeah, no, I had, I have a I have a I won't name him, but I have a relative who was actually circumcised when he was nine, and I remember when it happened. And uh, he came back, and uh, yeah, it wasn't. Uh, yeah, he he went through. It. it was pretty bad. He's still pretty traumatized by it to this day. So,
2: well, yeah, everyone like everyone I know has a story about you know the circumcision and how you know it affected them. But during the season, you know, there, there'd be like the, it would be this big hoo ha where there's music shows and. and families get together and
1: like it's a happy time like it's party it's party time let's cut off our body parts
2: yeah exactly so you know and then you'd have these men dressed up as women dancing and and all of that and and it's actually something that is a thing so i i don't know how you know that they're able to Attack the actual LGBT community, but you know,
0: have these kind of events and functions <laughs> like at the drag, same drag queen. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, exactly. You know, we have that here in Toronto, so at least we have one thing in common. <laughs> it's, it doesn't coincide with circumcision festivals, but uh, well, anyway, <laughs> yeah, go ahead.
2: Yeah, circumcision in, in, in a festival is just weird, and it, sh- uh, it shouldn't uh-huh. be there. You know,
0: I think. Yeah, but the,
1: I okay. Go anyway. ahead. No, I, I have more questions about the circumcision, but it's going to take us off topic.
0: It'll take it. Yeah, <laughs> I I just wanted to get uh, get to uh, this situation with what what's happened recently. So, just I mean, uh, let me know if I start cutting out again, and Yaz, yes, I'll let you hijack um, <laughs> again. Um, the so uh, what I what happened was after the 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 death of Yamin or Yamin Rashid. Um, I started getting, I got some emails and I got a bunch of uh, tweets uh, just telling me from secular writers and secular activists. In the Actually, Maldives. I am going
1: to interrupt you, Ali. If you could oh, tell no. us a little bit about Yameen. No, you're not cutting.
0: Oh, okay. But if I'm you could just out. give
1: our listeners some background about Yameen, just briefly.
0: Yeah, Yamin Rashid was, a, he was a secular activist, right? And he was a blogger. And he, he essentially is, is just a writer who cares about secularism like myself. Uh, the only thing is I ended up. Um, I'm living here freely, and I'm writing, and I'm doing this podcast. Uh, he, on the other hand, was hacked to death in his home um, for expressing his views, for having blasphemous views, for apostasy, and you know all of those uh, pretty much victimless crimes, just changing his mind and just thinking about things differently. Um, so he's a secular activist and blogger who was hacked to death in his own house in the Maldives for writing his thoughts okay um, he's not the only one um, there was uh, there is another uh, activist named Hilat Rashid uh, who, who you've mentioned uh, who had his uh, you know in, in your other writings um, and you say that he had his throat slashed and he barely survived the attack mm-hmm. and uh, the other person that you mentioned earlier on another activist secular activist, uh, Ahmed Rulwan. Um, was kidnapped. He's abducted uh, from his own home, and uh, he is now feared to be dead because nobody's heard from him. And you said that he's been missing now for a thousand days, right? It's actually thousand twelve days today. A thousand twelve days. So you, you, you're keeping track, and that's that's good because he's he's being remembered. It's actually thousand so-
2: twelve days. uh thousand twelve days. Yeah, twelve. 12- uh, six hours, forty-eight minutes, and twenty-two seconds right now.
0: Wow! Okay, so, so this, so this is, so this is obviously not a one-off thing. This is a very, it's a serious situation. It's actually very reminiscent of, well, my friend Avijit Roy, um, who was hacked to death in Bangladesh. Uh, he was actually from Atlanta. He was an American, and he went there at a book fair, and he was hacked to death, um, in in Dhaka, uh, Bangladesh. So this is, and and then there were a series of other bloggers and activists. Um, who underwent the same fate in in Bangladesh as well, and now this is we're seeing this in the Maldives. Uh, we've also seen this recently in Pakistan uh, with the lynching of uh, Mashal Khan uh, in his university by university students, not Islamists. Nobody just the people at his university who lynched him, shot him, beat him to death. So you know th- th- this is obviously you know th- this is extremely disturbing and now you're in the situation you know you're probably I mean you're you're speaking you're you're in hiding you're in an undisclosed location right now mm-hmm. um, and you could be in the position of any of these people I could be yes and these are your friends so can you just talk about what the dynamic is is this something that has been happening for a long time is there a recent resurgence of this um, uh, I have. The, has the community there become more fundamentalist, or has it always been like this? How? What is? What's the underlying dynamic of this phenomenon?
1: And the ex president that spoke up against all of this was he supportive of secular people when he was president?
2: Okay, so a little bit more background. Uh, Maldives was relatively a moderate uh, uh, Islamic country. We've, we've been an Islamic country for the last 900 plus years. But during all that time, it, it was that there was a lot of Sufi influences and, and other, you know, non-extreme iterations of the Islamic, religion. And,
1: and was there a lot of influence from the tourists too like was there any western influence at all
2: well, the tourism was is you know in the history of things relatively you new know, i think it's, it's about you know 40 years or so that that the tourism industry has been there so but the tourism industry has played a major role in 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 the secular movement inspiration and, and because you know, it's opened the country to the larger world and we're able to see how other people are and all of that. But going back to the background of, you know, how the radicalization has happened, uh, when during the gayum regime, the 30 year old dictatorship, you know, he's, he started initially arresting in, uh, mullahs of extreme views as sort of, you know, religious harmony and and that kind of narrative. And while in prison, what they they were doing was they were torturing these uh, mullahs, like shaving shaving their beards with, you know, chili sauce and things like that. You know, and and Uh so there was a lot of hatred being, you know, sort of boiling underneath because of those, those events. And when Nasheed came in to the presidency in 2008, you know, he, I, he, he mistakenly... Nasheed is
1: the one that was democratically elected? N- n-
2: yes, Nasheed okay. is, is the democratic uh, president. He made the mistake of, you know, assuming that Islamists could be part of the democratic process. And right. he invited them into the government he made a ministry of islamic islamic ministry and and as soon as you know you let the extremists be part of the democratic process as fair as it seems you know that everybody should be welcome people who don't believe in democracy shouldn't be allowed to participate in democracy but you know as soon as they started being part of the democratic process they they started you know, introducing in these mullah speeches and, and 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 events, and and they started traveling down the country, giving dawah sessions and whatnot. And, and as a result, this radicalization, but but the radicalization has been slowly happening. In the last ten to fifteen years but i it it, it it only started showing its face really ugly he after Nasheed invited them in, into the government.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: so but Nasheed would later admit after the after he was toppled that it was a mistake, but you know what's done is already by then done and, and he was brought down. On the pretext of defending Islam, as I mentioned earlier. And, and, and by 2010, myself, Hilat, uh, Rilwan, Yamin, we, we, we all met around 2010, just two years into the Nasheed administration. And my brother, he, he's an, uh, he's in asylum in, in New Zealand at the moment. And, and there are a few others which I will not name uh who sort of we 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 started first initially with a petition against the Adalat Party Adalat Party is the sort of politicized version of the islamists in, in the form of a political party
1: so sort of like the muslim brotherhood kind of thing
2: yes yes absolutely and 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 the people running the party you know were pretty much sort of muslim brotherhood inspired guys Like Sheikh Shaheem and, and, and so forth and so forth. So we started initially by getting together and saying, look, let's petition Nasheed government to, you know, get these guys out of the the government because they're they're hindering on democracy, democratic reforms that we were incrementally achieving. And, And, and once we did that, you know, we sort of came onto the map of the guys uh, the Islamists in the country by 2000. Uh, so that was around June, July that we did the petition. And by June, by December on 2010, human rights day, we had a silent solidarity, an event called silent solidarity, uh, which was, we were going to protest against, you know, freedom of thought, freedom of conscience, uh, freedom of religion by simply just having a gap together, no placards, no signs, nothing just by virtue of being there, our presence to be covered by media. And that would be it. So that set off a trigger of, you know, like flag burnings and and Jewish flag burnings and, and Israeli flag burning kind of an event. At the same time, there was some, um,
1: So like, like to counter you? Is that what, what the idea was? or
2: There, there was two things. We, to counter us, at the same time, Nasheed had some Israeli medical guys offering some free medical projects in the islands as well. So there was two things at the same time happening. So the response was to counter both at the same time. So that, that year we, we did
1: poor Israelis. They just get pulled into everything. Yes, they
2: do. You know, <laughs> where
1: they're trying to help. They're like, let's give you medical supplies. Fuck you. We're burning your flag. So yeah, like, it, okay.
2: it, it was, it was eye doctors, you know. So the narrative was they were stealing, you know, eyeballs and whatnot and, 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 and corneas and, and irises and everything. You name it. They were stealing it. And, and, and the following year we had the second event as well of silent solidarity. Uh, in 2011, and and that one was attacked directly, and he had his head cracked open, and and, and, and all, all of that went real, yeah, really bad. What
1: happened? Was it with the police attacked him? No, 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 no,
2: no, no. These were like, you know, radicalized gangs. So, uh, yeah, so they, 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 they'd be, they're not religious in any sense. They, they just look, like thugs, you know, basically. So they'd have the beard, and they'd they'd have sleeves rolled up a little bit, you know, so that you know that part of the ankle is not in in hellfire, you know that story.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so the, you always have the two, right? You've always got the nice Islamists that that are wearing suits and they speak you know, properly. And then you've got the thugs that are the jihadis, that'll yes, exactly. but they're both doing the exact same thing. They both got the exact same. Like
0: if they won't, if they won't lynch you themselves, they'll throw you to the mob. But Ar- Armin, you had a question.
3: Yeah, just a short question. Um, How, you know, a lot of people ask us, how can, what? okay, they hear these stories and say, we need your help. And they ask, well, how can I help? What would you say to people that are actually interested in find like helping in any small way they can to get you or people like you into a safe place, but they have no idea what they can do,
0: or, or even help your cause. Uh, you know? There's a lot of
2: fear at the moment in terms of you know, empowering secular voices in, in, in the country. Maldives is very small in the sense it's like a small town. And the whole country is like a small town in, in any western place where everyone literally knows everyone else. And, and, and secrets are the most
0: hardest thing to keep in the country. So, how how what is the population of the country? If you could just share with the the audience, uh, it's about four hundred thousand people in the
2: entire country at the moment. Oh. So, and and oh, right. the capital okay. itself is about six square kilometer island. And in that six square kilometers, we have about one hundred and fifty thousand people, and the rest are dispersed over little islands. About two hundred islands. Some islands have in ten thousand, which is like the bigger population, and some others are having like hundred, even you know, and five hundred. Some some islands can't doesn't have a population enough to have economies of scale.
0: Right, right.
3: My okay. question is not about like you know raising. You know, we 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 know we're we're doing. I think we're doing that a little bit, bringing attention to voices and stuff. We could do a much, but we need to do a much better job with Maldives because it's not getting attention. But my my question is specifically about helping you get out because we had we tried to do this, like we tried to do this with Rona Ahmed, but we, we the only thing we could do was to give her money to support her financially when she was trying to get out. But we had no, but we didn't help help her at all on the process of actually getting out that was all her herself but we need to we just desperately want to know like like we we tried so many things and we it's hard to figure out like what can we do other than calling like we call you people in amnesty international we got people in the un and we get denied or hung up on or we don't hear responses and even when somebody that really wants to help us they file something and it gets denied somewhere else or gets ignored is there any thing that you like do you need sponsors do you need somebody what can people do if somebody hears their story and they like oh this is horrible i want to help this person what is it that they could do? They, do you know if anything they can do to, or somebody they could talk to, or somebody is petitions matter? Like, I don't know. Like, do you have any suggestions?
2: Uh, so I'm, I'm now registered at, with the UNHCR as an asylum seeker, but with that comes that I can't hold a job uh, as part of the, reg- the rules there, and I can't have a bank account and, and all of that. So in the country that I'm in, I, I don't have any of those options.
1: And you've been there for five years?
2: No, not not in this country for five years. I arrived. Uh, I I I I was in Malaysia for the, f- the the five years that I was out. But my visa expired, and then I flew to Sri Lanka initially, and then after that, I had to leave as soon as I registered with the uh, a, a, as a seeker, and, and because
4: may I have a question about this? oh uh,
2: yes. Go ahead.
4: By the way, this is Faisal, uh, in case you don't know me. Um, I'm the Secretary of Caliphate. Everybody knows you. Everybody knows Faisal. <laughs> I actually, I mean, speaking of the NCR, I came into the United States through the NHCR. Uh, so the United NHCR are the ones who actually helped me out to come
0: to the United States, and I registered through Malaysia. Mm-hmm. So just a little, Faisal, can you, before you go on, can you talk about your background? Because Faisal is also somebody who was kind of on the run uh, in a way like the like you are, and eventually he did arrive in the u s uh as a refugee right so he there are some parallels there right yeah so so uh with
4: me i i don't know if this is this is recent, but when I applied for the u n r c r they didn't ask me uh well well, first of all, they ask you that you need to have a visa in the country you are requesting asylum ads so in my case with Malaysia, I had a student visa because I, I, I did my college over there. Um, but they didn't tell me like I could not get a bank account because it was kind of necessary for someone to survive over there if they don't have a bank account. Even though like some of these societies are cash based, but overall, I don't remember there was a regulation about that you cannot have a bank account.
2: Is that recent or? Yeah, let me explain that. So this is depending on the host country where the UNHCR is based at the time. So, so in, 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 in my case, when I applied that the country is not part of the, the, the signatory on the UNHCR charter. So they are tolerating, uh, refugees and asylum seekers, but they're not legally protected yeah
1: he's not in malaysia Faisal. we don't we're not saying where he is
2: okay but but okay so
4: i see so maybe it's a different country so they probably have different rules that's correct
2: yeah right so it it depends on the you know where where unhcr is if 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 in 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 the case of malaysia if the malaysia is part of the unhcr charter then the rules are different to asylum seekers and and all of that, but you know, I, I I'll tell you, I I applied in Sri Lanka and I've I've since left, uh, at, to a safer place. I've uh, uh, Sri Lanka is not part of that, you know, uh, UNHCR charter, and, and Sri Lanka has regulations with regards to how to protect their labor force from asylum seekers. So you can't legally work, you can't have a bank account and, 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 as part of that Sri Lankan regulations there. And, and so that, that was what, what was told to me by them.
3: Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about the threats that you've been getting? Uh, boy, that, that was a lot of threats though. I just want the audience to know what, what, like how, how difficult of a situation you're, you are in and how, just because you, I mean, and why, and also why have you been receiving this stress? Like, if you could explain that as well.
2: So, yeah. Uh, so going back to the initial story of, you know, so when we did the silent solidarity two events in 2010 and 11, that sort of was also used as 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 a catalyst to bring down the, the nasheed regime nasheed government and since then we've been vocal open secular activists Uh, there are very few who write under our own names and very few who talk about you know human rights and 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 universal human rights values in our own name and and as a result it's attracted threats from and under the, and again, under the pretext of defending Islam or anti-Islamic, you know, you know, the secular views and universal human rights are seen as anti-Islamic. But so the threat started from way back then, but it's accelerated over the years to a point where uh, it, it would be weird to not receive a death threat now in a week it would be like hang on what's going on you know like i didn't get a death threat this week so it it escalated to that point
1: how did how did you were saying the country was pretty secular before that or at least it was pretty democratic and then in the past 10 years this surge of people
2: okay Okay, so that that that's a mistake to say it was democratic before. It was never a democ- oh, okay, proper democracy. Okay. Sort of like an it, Egyptian it, it democracy. <laughs> Egyptian democracy, where Which you means know, dictatorship. The, yeah, Mubarak style. Right. So it was a thirty-year-old dictatorship, uh, but it was relatively controlled, moderate form of Islam during right. that time. And and the as soon as you know, Gayum started arresting this incoming mullahs. And, you know, shaving their beards with chili sauce and things like that. There was a lot of anger and animosity. And
1: so they became more religious. Yes, as they a reaction. became
2: more
0: religious. Mm-hmm. And, and, so I, I'm sorry, you. this is the second time you've mentioned the shaving the beards with chili sauce. D- so that that does that mean what I think it does? That instead of shaving cream? Yes, exactly.
2: Fingers. Use chili sauce as the shaving cream and then shave it off. Yeah, you know, so Holy shit. that that would be really painful. You can, you know, uh, so
3: who who did this to who exactly, and why?
2: Yeah, Gaum did this to the initial incoming mullahs who were being trained in Saudi Arabia and Pakistan uh, as part of the you know Egyptian style control mechanism. But that really resurged the mullahs into with, with more vigor and energy, and and they've literally. Controlled the narrative in in the years since then. So this extreme 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 version started forming out of
1: a backlash hatred,
2: almost uh, as a backlash from there. So 2000 saw the radicalization increase, and and, and up to a point where now, uh, if you look at a picture of Maldivian women, you know they wouldn't be wearing headscarves, hijabs, and, and niqabs any uh, back then, but you know now like 80% or 90% of them would have it.
1: Oh, wait, when you say back then, how many years are we talking? How long did it take for your whole country to change?
2: About 15 years to, okay. like, you know, to, since 2000, it's gradually become, you know, so yes so, so,
3: so would you say it was, it was a secular dictatorship before then? Would you say that?
2: The, the word secularism was literally introduced into mainstream by us.
3: No, not, not, no, not, not necessarily introduced, but like, would you say it was a non-religious dictatorship before? No, it was a moderate this?
1: Islamic one. He said, Armin. No,
3: it, so yeah, it, it's it's it was always
2: a Islamic dictatorship, but it was. A moderate form of Egyptian style
4: dictator. Yeah, so more like Saddam, right? So, I mean, Saddam Hussein, there is this big claim made by many. Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Ignoramus, like extremely ignoramus people like Rand Paul and stuff on foreign policy, they will say Saddam Hussein was a secular dictator. I mean, anybody who lived under Saddam who had any basic understanding of Saddam, like Saddam use the faith campaign, he put Allahu Akbar in the Iraqi flag. And he throws Islamic education mm-hmm. into schools, but uh,
0: but to be fair, he did that after yeah, the first and, and Gulf after, War, like ten years like after when? his
4: ruling. So of the thirty years he ruled, only ten years of it was secular, and the rest was mostly under. Uh, so like, I mean, e- even when he was ruling in the first years, I mean, it was yes, he was anti-Islamist. What's what? <laughs> so, so it's uh, it's, a, it,
2: it's a little bit more nu- nuanced than that in the sense that in the Maldives, it was never allowed for anyone to have a faith other than sunni islam but it wasn't visibly islamic or 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 extremist in that sense so the control mechanisms are slightly different than it was in the middle east but it was always islamic and it was always a single religion and they're very proud of the label you know that we are 100 percent muslim country and that the claim is that there's only 200% Muslim countries in the world right now at Saudi Arabia and in the Maldives. So they're very proud of the Wait a minute, label. Saudi
1: Arabia is not 100% Muslim? That place is full of expats.
2: I, I, I know, but but you know, they're not citizens.
3: Ah, Yes. Yeah. The reason why I was asking if this, if you think, you know, a lot, of, a lot of leaders, dictator leaders, they they use Islam labor, but they don't rule with it. You know what I mean? Like kind of, I mean, Faisal, uh, Faisal disagrees with that, but because a lot of people say, well, Saddam claimed to be, you know, a little bit religious, but he didn't really use it as a way to rule. So it was technically secular, but I know he disagrees with that. Like the same thing. It's not, not like I disagree with that. that.
4: Facts disagree with that. It's not a matter of All opinion. Right.
3: <laughs> no, all right, but at least we could say that I, I, I could say that about like Reza Shah. At least it was like he he would call himself a Muslim, but he was very anti-Islamic.
0: And Reza Shah was a dictator of Iran. He was a Shah of Iran before.
1: Anyway, you guys, so. let's yeah. just stay yeah. on and topic.
3: I, no, no, I just I just want to I just want to get to back to the topic. I think like, do you think that this is like a trend that you see that the governments go full on anti-Islamic or anti-extreme Islamic, and it always has the opposite reaction that they they were hoping for like it happened it started Islamic revolution in Iran in Turkey you're getting the opposite reaction now after Ataturk after many years in Egypt you're getting getting the opposite reaction after dictators like trying to be against the Muslim Brotherhood now you see that in the Maldives as well do you think this is actually
1: the Maldives invited the Muslim Brotherhood into the government
3: well it's it's not the Muslim
1: Brotherhood in the name but it's the version of
2: Yeah. yeah the version yeah so uh, yeah, uh, I mean it's a little bit more nuanced than than what you describe because the, the the government before the the thirty year old dictatorship it still identified itself as Islamic. It was in practice Islamic, it, it, but it had its own you know toothless version of Islam, so to speak. Mm. And, do they and, have and Do they it, have
4: Tinder in Maldives? If they have Tinder, it means it's secular. That's the way I see it. <laughs>
0: i'm sure there are three people using tinder (laughs) at least actually i'm just out of curiosity do they have is alcohol legal in the maldives or no right
2: alcohol is legal in the resorts so there's like two there's like uh, 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 for tourists yeah 100 plus resorts there and then 200 plus islands with locals in there the whole country has 1800 islands or so
0: yeah, people in uh, in Pakistan. I remember a lot of my several of my friends who got married went to the Maldives for honeymoons all the time from uh, places like Pakistan and so on. So, so I have a question yeah. just uh, on,
4: on the tourism aspect because so for locals, so so you say like all this alcohol is being sold by the resorts and stuff. Uh, how how and how big bulk, is the interaction bulk. between the people who stay in the resorts and the mm-hmm. average Maldivian citizen?
2: Right. Very good question. So when a tourist arrives in the Maldives, they, they land at the airport. Now, the airport itself is on a separate island. You know, the capital is on a separate island. Every resort is on a separate island. So it's a one island, one resort concept. It's quite unique in the sense that it's very few places in the world has this concept. So when you arrive in, in, in the Maldives at the resort, you don't have to change your dollars into local currencies. You know, you, 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 a tourist would pay with dollars. So there's this parallel economy going side by side. So the, the, the Maldivian Rufia economy, which is for the locals and the dollar economy, eh, which is for the tourists and the resort businesses and, and, and the magnets that run it. So when they arrive, they're whisked off on a seaplane or a speedboat into a resort where the locals serve as, you know, waiters or or, or, or room boys or whatever, and, and they also what is that? What is the dollars. room
4: boy? I mean, is that for gay people or? No, room no, boys are people you, who right?
2: attend rooms. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. uh, so yeah, so it's a parallel economy completely, and and. The fact that they don't have to change the dollar into local currency, it means that it only goes into the coffers and in the pockets of the very rich elite who are able to own the resort businesses and, and so forth. So if someone was sick or needed to travel overseas or needed to buy dollars, there's a cap even. So uh, a air ticket out of Maldives gets you 500 US dollars. At the airport before leaving wow interesting
4: Now, i mean the reason i'm asking this question because let me tell i mean I I, I I know at least like 80 to 100 people from a friends of mine uh went to the maldives and mm. almost all of them had an awesome experience like all of them and i imagine they have lived in a bubble, right? They have lived in a bubble. Yeah. Just like, for example, somebody goes to Lebanon, right? Because I lived in Lebanon mm-hmm. for a while. And if you are a tourist who goes to Lebanon, you stay at the Hamra district. Most of them are tourists in Beirut. But if if you drive 20, 30 miles south, it's Hezbollah headquarters, literally Hezbollah headquarters. You can actually see Ayatollah Khamenei photos over there. But yet most of the tourists who come from UK, US, Canada, whatever, when they come to Lebanon they see a very beautiful secular country but they don't see they don't see that kind of a negative aspect within Lebanon so i'm, I'm expecting that even Malaysia has a, a, a kind of side like this right like in Kuala Lumpur mm. it's kind mm-hmm. of a secular you have alcohol you have clubs you have night clubs because yep. i've been to all of them so I, I know that uh but for some states in Malaysia some provinces in Malaysia they actually have sharia law like they actually yeah, have I mean, like, like
2: yeah. Uh, like, I think it's Kalantan yeah, or something. Yeah, Kalantan yeah, yeah. and all yeah. of these areas. Same thing
1: like Indonesia yeah. too. You got Bali, mm. but then you've also got Sharia law. In yeah, other areas. Mm-hmm. so like I think Sarawak
4: and some others in Malaysia, which like they literally like have canning of of gay people and they have, and they also in the, in the Malaysian law, if you are a Malay Muslim, the police can actually take you from the bars. So people who yes, can drink can. are the only non-Malay Muslim Malaysians. And tourists, mm. so so there is kind of like a bubble bubble uh, world.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So all all tourists who come into the Maldives who stay in these resorts, you know, they they they're able to buy pork dishes and, and alcohol and and anything else. You know, there are even resorts that specifically market as, you know, gay havens and LGBT e, e islands as well. You know, I, I, I've i recently seen one one resort market for, you know, the gay market as well. And, and this is, a, and, and I've used the word before, and it's not that I labeled it as a tourism apartheid country. It's been sort of, you know, slowly getting that label. But it's definitely a tourism apartheid country where there's, a, a complete separation from one way for uh, the locals and one complete different economy and lifestyle and everything for tourists. So whenever they arrive, they, they are in the bubble. It's an extremely inhospitable, you know, awesome experience where, you know, sun, sand, sea, the sunny side of the life. And these are all slogans that, you know, it's associated with the Maldives. And it's true. Those experiences are, are absolutely fantastic. It, it's curated to be just that. But this is not the experience of, of the local. Now there's, there's uh, just 30 minutes boat ride from the capital Malé. There's an island called Mafushi. Mafushi has the biggest jail in the country. He, and, and, and on the same island, there's a fence dividing the island into two. Our uh, tourist, uh, local tourist investment. So there's just people on the same beach who are absolutely enjoying, in, in you know, in their bikinis, swimming around. On the other side, you've got people being murdered, boiled with hot water, shaved with, you know, uh, chili sauce or whatnot. And, 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 and it's unbelievable. But this two worlds don't interact and they are they don't know of each other, so to speak.
3: So, so if you fly back to the Maldives today and land in land there, like, are the police going to be waiting for you in the airport right away? Like, would you even, are you on the list? And they would be basically, would you even make it past the airport? Like, you're going to go directly from the airport to what happens? Like, they're going to execute you or torture you? Do you well, know what to-
2: the the country is now recently trying to introduce the death penalty as, as part of enforcing? you know, Islamic law. It, it, we've had a moratorium on the death penalty for quite a while, like almost 50 years, if I'm not mistaken. I've been picked up at the airport twice uh, and, and taken straight to jail. uh one time, that was in 2003 when I, uh, 2002, when I came for holiday. While I was studying in Australia. I was picked up at the airport for drinking overseas. How, how did they know? How did they know? Uh, I, I actually had a drink on, on the airplane. So I, I don't know if someone in the airplane reported me. Oh. Like another Moldavian reported me or whatnot. But the charge was drinking overseas.
1: But you think they were just picking on you because they knew you're an activist.
2: Well, I, I, I've already been in trouble in in 1999 over a phone call I made to the police complaining about a public arrest. So I started that process, uh, as a teenager. So I spent, in my first arrest, I spent, uh, 15, 15, 14 days in a holding cell, another 15 days, 20 days in, uh, solitary confinement, uh, about 58 days in a, in a cell that was more like a warehouse made out of iron sheets. There was 120 people sharing three toilets. I have some scars and stuff from that experience. Uh, and then I was taken to the court one day straight out of this Mafushi jail. And I was sentenced 15 years in jail under the terrorism laws at the time. And on the same wow. day, I my sentence was commuted to 150 Maldivian rufia, and which is equivalent to about $10 uh, because I had no prior convictions and I was a student. <laughs> but what they do is when you have a charge that is suspended over you, they use that to blackmail you, to manipulate you after that. Mm. So the, the, the suspended charge can be recalled any day and you can be taken to the police. Mm.
1: That's why you have to get out of there.
2: Yeah, so I so when I got released that time after the you know my 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 sentence was commuted to one hundred and fifty rufia, like ten dollars. I left the country on the same day, and, and then I came back again in two thousand two for another holiday. And at the airport, I was picked up for drinking overseas. Initially, my they, they took away my passport, and then after a urine sample, I was let go the following day and i was brought back into question in 5 days afterwards because my urine didn't show up to be positive so what do you mean
1: they were looking for al- what were they looking for in your urine drugs
2: uh, alcohol or drugs or whatever you know anything that
1: is so when you say it wasn't positive you mean it wasn't wasn't positive for any
2: there there was nothing like you know no substance that they they showed up in in the test.
1: Okay, so that's a good thing.
2: All right, yeah. So then I was taken to a solitary confinement oh, island shit. for eleven days because they were certain that I should be positive, and <sighs> it didn't come up positive. Oh, so after it after eleven days, they transferred me to house arrest for two months, and I was made to write a letter to the president. Begging for forgiveness and let go. And after I wrote the letter, I was released and then I left the country again. And then I didn't come back to the Maldives until 2006 and I was not allowed to come back because I was running a, one of the earliest descent newspapers online, Divehi Observer. So I started Divehi Observer 2004 and I was running to Divahi Observer 2004, 5, 6 when I quit. My father, at the time, an MP, he negotiated my ability to come back to the country. And I I joined mainstream politics from there. But then I quit mainstream politics in 2010 to go into, like, minority activism and secular activism because we need to address the core issues. Otherwise, we're just fooling
0: ourselves, you know. So I I, I had just a couple of questions. I mean, uh, you know. Uh before uh, you know, we uh, th- go ahead before we conclude all this. I wanted to make sure that we got this in. Like, do you have, uh, do you have family um, there? Uh, do, do you have? Uh, I mean, you don't have to answer in detail or anything, but do you have? You know, family, loved ones. Um, how do you handle that? Like in, in the sense that you know, do you ever feel like uh, what you're doing? If uh, does it pose any risk to them at all? Well, my family. I mean, again, you, you don't have to talk about this if, or, if you feel it's risky. Right, so
2: I, I could say some. Though. My, my dad disowned me, he, and my younger brother is also disowned the one in New Zealand because mm-hmm. you know he doesn't think that I should be talking about religion in, in the political context and, and whatnot. Uh, my relatives, my extended family, I haven't spoken to any of them, and they haven't spoken to me. So I literally assume that i'm completely cut off by my extended family i do have relationships with my siblings uh, to a civil level but yeah basically i'm cut off at the moment and and that, that that's just the way it is
0: i know this is so this is one thing i wanted to highlight that's a universal experience for so many um people who just change their mind about religion is that they often become isolated. It's not just a matter of legal punishment or becoming marginalized from society, but you, you lose the people you grew up with. You lose your parents. You, I mean, this is part of very common part of the ex-Muslim experience. It is very lonely. And, um,
1: and I don't know if we haven't ever really changed our mind because we never really got a chance to make up our mind we just mm-hmm. we just we just made up our mind uh, yeah. what i
0: mean is like the the classic like you know the idea of ex-muslims like you know where they used to be yeah you're right like it's not you were indoctrinated right from the beginning but just from a very yeah. technical uh point of view like you know, you have this one thing you, you one day you decide like dad mom i'm not um you know i i'm not i don't I I don't believe in this stuff anymore. I have doubts about it, and next thing you know, your family's yeah. not there you know, anymore. You know, so so that's uh, and and what about your, uh, um, just in terms of uh, your work? Is this are you full time activist? or is there are there other things that you do as well? Well, my wife and I, we had, we have a small fashion design
2: business. She's the designer. I do the administrative and marketing sort of stuff. And we worked out of a home. Oh, nice. We worked out of a home studio, but we are now unable to do that work because clients Hmm. cannot come to our place and expose where we live and all of that. So that's, that's, that's an issue. And, 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 uh, When I'm not working with her on on the fashion design business, then I'm pretty much an activist online full time and and I, I write my blog and I manage the pages that I manage.
1: So Armin has a small question for you and then I have a big question for you. All
3: right. Before uh, and before I ask a small question, <laughs> anybody in the fashion, the size anybody in the fashion industry, if you mm. want to help this, if you want to ha- send out a work visa, maybe if that's possible, if you think you could help out by hiring him and his wife in a way, you know, so so at least he has a visa to come yeah. in and then get the asylum. That would be really good if you could reach yeah. out. And,
0: and we're gonna go with like the links and stuff for your work and your all the other stuff that you do. You know, we'll we'll give you a chance to sort of. Uh, Say all that towards the so end. So my
3: my question is mm-hmm. that how will you respond to people that say then why do this why all this activism why put yourself at risk um, you know we don't need we don't need atheist martyrs it's not worth you know would you if you if you go back all the way would you do all, do all this again or would you take a different path
2: knowing the people that you know and the hardships they've been through it, it it's not that i want to be a martyr you know i ne- i never set out to to uh, with a death wish that i want to get killed or be threatened but seeing the suffering of the people that you love and and the inability and the absolute helplessness that you feel knowing they're going to go through all this stuff. You don't start as, as, you know, let's go secular all out. You start with little things like, let's try and help this person. Let's try and help that person because it's the right thing to do. And and one thing leads to another thing. And and then next thing, you know, you're, you're being hunted, you know? So it's, Mm -hmm. I'd still try and help the people that I wanted to help and, and all of that. If I had to do it again. And, you know, and if that leads to the same conclusion again, it would still be the right thing to do because, you know, there are people who need help, and 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 to deny that help to those people is to deny humanity itself. So yeah, I do. It We've
0: again. been we get asked the same question, Muju. I I, I Fersen and I had this. Conversation once after it was after that Avijit Roy was killed, and we talked about this. We're like, should we do this? Because this, this is when things like that happen. Your rel- friends and relatives read it in the news, and they ask you. They say, why are you doing this? You know, what is the point? Why don't you just live with your family, safe? Why put everybody at risk? Why put yourself at risk? And um, we came to the conclusion after that happened. Every time something like that happens to Avijit or to Rife, by the way, or uh, any of these people who are suffering because of it. You know it makes us want to double down because that's how terrorism works that is terrorism you know if if people change their behavior because of fear, you don't have to be killed you don't have to none of that is the of the victims of terrorism aren't necessarily just the ones who are dead it's It's pretty much everybody who decides not to publish a cartoon that is in the headlines. Like uh, you know, major American newspapers or people who decide, okay, I'm just going to stay quiet and I'm not going to say anything. They're all victims of terrorism, right? And uh, if you if you ever give in and you ever stop speaking, you yourself have become a victim of terrorism. I mean, that's something that I think, um, well Muju, like realizes. Oh, uh, well, sorry, uh, I think he left. I one second. Did. did. we well, lose I think him? It says Muju left the
4: conversation.
3: Yeah, I think his connection got cut, but at least we, at least mm-hmm. we got. No, he'll. Almost hopefully, everything. he'll come back. He'll come back to get, say goodbye.
0: Yeah, and I think he has had one, one last
3: oh, question. Oh, I did right? have a question. I,
1: had a big I, hope question. I have a chance a to ask question.
3: it. Yeah, but I'm curious now. I'm very curious to see what Yaz's question is. <laughs> so, uh,
1: hopefully, he'll come back. But if he doesn't, I think I, I already know the answer to my question. It was a loaded question, um, and maybe you guys can respond to it for me. So when he was talking about the Islamists being invited into being part of the government in the Maldives and how the president later said that that was the biggest mistake that he had made, because when you have people that are inherently against democracy and you invite them to be part of the democratic process, they were basically, they just, uh, they weren't there to work with people, they were there to overtake. And that's why it only took 10 to 15 years for the whole country to to change uh, what it looked like then and what it looks like now, obviously much more conservative today. So I was going to ask if he can speak to the Maldives being like a microcosm. um, And if he sees something similar happening in other countries in the world, because I know that We've mentioned Egypt, and I think that Egypt is an example of that happening as well. And I think a lot of countries here in the West see this happening all over the world, or maybe they don't because they're not paying attention, but they never think that it's actually going to happen in their own country. They never think, oh, who cares if we invite Linda Sarsour into the White House? You know, Who cares if the Muslim Brotherhood aren't deemed a terrorist organization? They kind of have... I don't know if it's naivety, naivete, or if it's arrogance, but they kind of have this attitude of like, well, that's never going to happen to us. And so I was going to ask him because I know Egypt definitely had that attitude. Yeah,
4: I mean, I think maybe I should answer it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that the Democrats. I mean, you mentioned Al for example, Dalia Um I think they probably believe that this is this is all paranoia. What you just described is just paranoia and. Um, Muslims are just like anyone else. Uh, there is no, I mean, it's the thing is, like, there's a, conf- a conflation between race and religion, right? But what do so you they think? Say, so they say that, oh, the Chinese, I mean, me personally speaking, I think that all the religious parties and most importantly, Islamist ones should be banned from entering the government.
1: I totally agree.
4: As a pu- pure secularist, People who want to bring theocracy to the country should not be allowed to participate in the government.
1: I don't think they're admitting that they want to bring theocracy, though, right? Like, you see somebody like Linda Sarsour standing there, she's talking about acting like she's a Democrat, she is... Um... No,
4: but, but with Linda Sarsour, is not as clear as, it is. like, let's say, with, like, let's say, the Muslim Brotherhood, the real, like, the members of the Muslim Brotherhood, but even there, like, you should, you guys should watch the latest interview Shadi Hamid did with the Leaders of the Muslim Brotherhood in Syria, and he was the guy was so mild that you would think he's a, uh, but obviously he's pandering to the West, and that way the West would support him.
0: Well, well, I mean, they they don't get involved in government, but they do. They, they um they... pretty much every no 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 I know, but uh, sorry, let me rephrase that. Supposing they don't get directly involved in government, but what they do do is they do they do get lobbyists. All of these people, they do have lobbyists. They have people who go out and they lobby congressmen and stuff. I guess, you know, that's where a lot of them exert their their influence. And they also have a lot of, uh, it, you know, in democracies, uh, they they have sway over voters. I mean, if you look at Israel, like a lot of the the settlement, the expansion and expansionists, the really conservative uh, Orthodox factions have, uh, you know, that the Likud tries to appease them a lot because they're you know a huge part of their voter base. So that affects it, even in the U.S. I mean, the Christian, the evangelical Christians um, have significant sway over, um, you know, for, I mean, both Democrats and Republicans are going to try But with Christians, people, I, can, people so, can I
1: respond are to you? Yes, it's okay, Christian. I just wanted to say really quickly mm-hmm. that when, it, when Christians try, everybody is really mm. vehemently opposed and, and right away they recognize right, that this yeah. is a threat But when it's Muslims, they don't recognize it as a threat. And I think it might have something to do with the bigotry of low expectations because they're like, oh, these simple little savages. Oh, they're so cute with their little authentic little headgear. They don't think of Muslims as a threat and they're wrong. This is kind of like
3: damned if you do, damned if you don't. Because if you you give them an opportunity for democracy, they will come and they get power and then they will remove democracy, Mm -hmm. right? And then if you take away the... Democracy for them, and like democracy for everybody, but you guys can't participate. Then they're like, "Hey, look at these motherfuckers! They're like telling that oh we have no, but we say no race, religions. No, We're no-
1: saying it's secularism, right? No, but I'm I'm talking about religion,
3: like well now Islam is represents the most. Okay, but religion in general feeds on being the victim. Right. And they will use that mm. to their advantage. I were like, look, these people won't give us a voice. The only way out is to fight. And I agree. Right? That's because so, they
1: try to make Muslims like a race. They talk about there's there's black groups, there's Muslim groups, there's Asian groups. No, that's wrong. There's no such thing as a Muslim group. That's not it's not a racial group. I know, but it's, I'm not talking about a group. I'm talking about a dogma, a
3: a, a set of dogmas that it works. Like it's a very, it's a, it's a virus and it's a very effective virus. And it has many different, I mean, this is, it's a kind of like a meme that survived, but it survived because it has some really good attributes. So it has a very good means of survival. Right. And I, I just think when you try to also shut it down, it has way to retaliate. That's why I believe in the bottom-up approach, because I think the, the 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 long-term way of solving this problem is to make less people Muslim. Yeah, I hear what you know you're what saying, but I mean? I'm
1: talking about the United States.
3: Yeah, I think like
4: what you're mentioning, I mean, I Armin, mean, with the dooms, if you don't, if you do, so like interesting with the refugee conversation is that they say, okay, if we bring all the refugees here, there are gonna be terrorist attack if we don't bring any refugees here, they will radicalize to become terrorists. Okay, so what should we do right now? <laughs> it was like- let's just kill so, ourselves. So, so, so in one way, it's like <laughs> they have, so in, in both ways they will win. So like if you think about it, if if the United States, let's say, say, ISIS blows up Times Square or something like this, and the United States retaliates, then they'll say, look, terrorists won. Mm-hmm. And that made America angry. If America does not retaliate out of fear that they will become terrorists, they will say, "Look, terrorists won. They made America afraid of invading." So, in in a way, terrorists will always win. Like no matter how you spin it, I mean, first of all, because they, they are not thinking of a cost benefit analysis, utilitarian perspective. They, for them, I mean, if you think about it, like the concept of jihad, if you somebody kills you in the war, you go you to win. heaven.
1: Yeah. If yeah. you
4: if you if you conquer the lands, you go to heaven.
3: Mm-hmm. Okay, it's a win-win situation. No matter how you spin it, they are the winners. If you kill them, another another example is like if you go like Maldives, you give them democracy, then they will dominate, right? And if you go like Ataturk or Reza Shah, they will they use will it will eventually. To... be because they will use it and they will eventually either like Iran, all like they have its revolution, or in Turkey, they're so tired of secularism that slowly becomes like Islamism grows and gains power. So what the fuck so do it's we just do? Like a we have to
1: just make religion. They always win. They, they, they always, always win. win. We have to just continue what we're doing the way it is. Like even all of us remember that sexism was totally rampant and accepted. Being um, anti-gay was totally rampant and accepted. It was when I was growing up. Like gay jokes were fine. People calling each other. Oh yeah, yeah. When something yeah. was silly or dumb or whatever, they'd be like, "Oh, that's so gay." Like the, all of these things were totally accepted. And it it hasn't been actually that long, and our society has progressed to the point. That we are apps, we have like a zero policy, zero tolerance to any mm-hmm. uh, discrimination against LGBT people, unless it's coming
4: from
0: brown people. Wow,
1: well, that's, <laughs> that's that's I, very I true. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Muju,
0: I, Muju is back with us. He's back with us. So,
1: so I was just saying that I think the answer is probably zero tolerance to religion in general, like all of us. Mm-hmm. But.
0: Yeah. yeah. Me. I'm so, a, Muju, I'm Yaz had bit. another a final question yeah. for you, and then after that, we also wanted to kind of give you a chance to um uh, tell everybody where they can find your work. Um, you know, you have the fashion design thing. If you want to talk about that and see if anybody can um check your stuff out, and like Armin was saying, maybe help you out in that in that way, whatever channel. Mm-hmm. So, you know, eventually, like, so we'll we'll do that. But first, Yaz has a has a final question. That we were just talking about.
1: So really quickly, Munja, we were talking about it when you were gone. So um just wondering just to find out if your thoughts align with ours. Do you think that what is happening in the Maldives is sort of a microcosm for what could potentially happen in the United States? As far as um there's an issue right now in the United States with there are a lot of muslim brotherhood groups all in di- all have different names all coming under different guises you know it's a it's a very common tactic al qaeda does the same thing they have all different names for their, all their different groups so that they don't look like they're one big group and so that people aren't um, automatically adverse to them but islamists are sort of making their way into the white house and making their way into public discourse um, making their way into you know leading <laughs> leading liberal marches and I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on do you think America is totally immune to to this kind of thing happening or do you think that there is cause for concern
2: there's always cause for concern when it comes to Islamists because they 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 pretty much pretend to be part of the 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 democratic process until they they have gained enough you know strength in, 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 into the political system so uh, America is quite big at the moment in terms of the size of the population and and, and the Muslim population it's relatively small but you know given enough time the the ambition would always be how to take over the system that you know and then they've made no secret of it you know uh, they, they've openly said that they aspire to 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 rule over america and the west so i don't know how long it would take but if we are comfortable enough in our chairs and our laurels to think that they wouldn't try that would be a mistake so but hopefully that wouldn't happen and the american people wouldn't allow that to happen
1: i hope so too and i'd
2: like I, I and i'd like to think that the american people are smarter and know what's going on in the world
1: i like to think that too and i think you're right right now they are a small percentage and the and the um the chances of it happening as quickly as it did in the maldives obviously are very low but mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that we should turn a blind eye to it and just assume that you know it's going to be fine and just ignore it. But we should be just as vigilant with fighting against any religions trying to get themselves into the public sphere of a, of a secular country.
2: Yeah, but having said that, you know, we, we should be aware of bigotry against Muslim people who most of them are harmless and and, and that they, they seek to live coexist among others it, it's a specific group of radicals that we have to be worried about you know and, and and to to be homophobic i mean islamophobic against Muslim people who are harmless is the wrong way to go about this, and I think we should be very careful how we address it, yeah, the issue. I think we
1: recognize that mm. in in the west like we we understand that we don't want christianity in our public secular schools we don't want to teach kids creationism but that doesn't mean that we're going to hate christian people you know what i mean just because we don't want islam in the governments or islam in the schools it doesn't mean that we hate muslim people or that we want that we're bigots against muslims like i think that those are two completely different things and when it comes to islam somehow because it's a brown skin minority people those lines are blurred. But if we start to just treat Islam in the same way that we treat Christianity in, because in the United States, Christianity, everybody is already aware that they are a powerful group and that we have to make sure that we don't allow them to um, overtake. But they just don't have that same vigilance when it comes to Islamic groups.
0: I, I, you know, I think that you nailed it there. Yazik, I think it's so simple. uh, The way that you treat Christianity, treat Islam the same way. Sure, one is different. The others, you know, they they have differences. They have differences in different times. They've been similar in different times. But treat both of them exactly the same. If you're treating Islam with kid gloves, then you are a victim of terrorism. That means you have been terrorized. If you don't, if you can't treat both religions the same. I would
3: I would say, say we're not, we're, I would say I w- we're not even fighting the radicals because the radicals are also the victims. I think we're fighting an ideology. Like I would say the radicals are um, the number one victims of Islam because they, their entire lives have been hijacked by an ideology that they've been brainwashed with. So I,
4: uh, I mean, is absolutely right. Let me say a, a talking point that I mostly use in debates with liberals in America. I say, what do you call a Republican who is against gay marriage? and they say bigot, then I don't thank you for calling 90% of Muslims bigots. That is the easiest way to show the racism of lower expectations. Because if you're going to call a white Republican a bigot for opposing gay marriage, then maybe you should call Jewish people against gay marriage bigots, or don't call anyone bigots. I mean, equality for all. If you're going to if you are stand for against homophobia, then you should stand against homophobia coming from all people. You're not gonna say, you're not gonna take the socioeconomics. Nobody's talking about the socioeconomics about people from Missouri, for example. (laughs) They don't say, Mm -hmm. well, they grew up in farms, they grew up poor, globalization harmed them, therefore they hate gay people. They say, Mm -hmm. no, they're bigots. Nothing, nothing, no socioeconomic reason would allow a person from Kansas or Missouri or whatever to be a bigot. Therefore, no socioeconomic purpose. From anybody come from Pakistan, whatever, uh, Maldives, all these countries, is a bigot too. That's that's that should be common sense.
3: Right, but no, so- no, no, the,
0: the the whole idea of bigotry is it isn't uh, about uh, who is saying it or what group is saying it because. If it's, it's it's an idea, you have to be opposed to the idea, say, of homophobia. But if it depends, if you're opposed to it depending on who's saying it, then it's not about the idea anymore, and then it's mm. always about identity, and that's where identity politics comes from, and that's where the left has become such a victim of it, because they're embracing all these minorities with really conservative social values, so it's not about ideas, because it really depends on who says what. And then it necessarily lends itself to identity politics, and then the people who do have the ideas now even bad ideas is the other side and 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 then then you're left in a vacuum so that's uh muju thank you so much for joining us man i mean you're um just keep on doing your work i mean we're just keep us posted on what's happening there and we're gonna try to help you in every way i can i I hope everybody listening um agrees with me And uh, can you, can you tell us a little bit about your blog and, um, you know, where people can find your writing if you are on Twitter or or on, on Facebook, how people can get in touch with you or contact you? Okay. Uh,
2: um, my Twitter is at Muju, M-U-J-U, Naeem, N-A-E-M. My Facebook is, uh, facebook.com slash M-U-J-U, N-A-E-M, uh, my blog is Mujunaim, naim dot WordPress dot com. Uh, yeah, so you can find me there, and I've sent the the links for my wife's fashion design business to the group chat here.
1: And I'll, I'll share all of that.
4: That's great. Let yeah. me share your video. By the way, just one comment, just one comment don't use dwarfpress.com. We can get you a domain, man. Like this is you, you. You would look terrible if you <laughs> say that your website is
2: WordPress. Or you need like, well, see the thing is, the thing is, being in this situation, I, I, if I'm unable to pay the domain at any particular time, unless I'm safer, it, the blog needs to just exist. Mm. It cannot come down. That was why it had to be a right. WordPress. Right. Good so. point. Very uh,
3: good. That point. Makes sense. Also, I, I, just want to say okay, that. Okay, I see to you. Lost. Know, I <laughs> You know, people like you, I really admire you because what you're you're doing, what we're what we are doing, but with much greater yes. risk. And you know, we're sitting with some sense of safety in Canada mm-hmm. and the United States. And I, and I, you know, the amount of the amount of sacrifice that you're doing for 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 this cause. And I know a lot of people might think that it's not worth it, but all these people that think it's not worth it, they're enjoying rights and freedoms that other people had sacrificed for. And if it wasn't for people like you, mm-hmm. they wouldn't have enjoyed any of those rights that they're now enjoying. So thank you. Thank you for everything you're doing. We love you, Muju. That was so
1: good, yeah. I'm perfect. Yes, Muju. Yeah, couldn't have said That's exactly it better. How, we feel, how we all feel.
4: You are a hero, my friend.
2: Good to be here. <laughs> good to meet you guys. I mean, it's, it's, it's been a long time coming I, you know awesome uh-huh.
1: <laughs> if any of our listeners have any ideas for support or help for Muju to help him to get out of uh, where he's in asylum right now then please contact us and we will pass on the support for sure and we're going to try and get you safe you and your wife safe as soon as possible
2: I really appreciate you guys love you all right. Take care. Thank you. Good night. Thanks. Bye. Thank you, everybody. bye
0: Take care. Bye-bye. The secular jihadists have
1: been made possible thanks to the gracious support of the Illuminati and the great state of Israel. That's what we have been told, but we haven't received our checks yet. In the meantime, we greatly appreciate the support of our current donors. Please consider supporting by sharing the podcast with your fellow heathens or by donating at patreon.com sjme.